0: Before we start the podcast. I want to talk to you about Mile High Shooter Supply. Go to milehighshooting.com and peruse everything that they got going on. Right now, they have a sale. If you buy something, you get put in for the option of being drawn or selected for two Zeiss scopes. I actually went in there today and picked up an S3 6 to 36 because I like Frank so much. I've been screwing around with it. I've, I've been screwing around with their uh, S5 3 to 18, their S5 5 to 25. But I like the S three, six to thirty six so much. I just went in and picked one up. I noticed that they loophole mounts are pretty hard to find. They have a cantilever mount there, thirty five mil ring. uh, That uh, those those have been kind of hard hard to find. But they carry a lot of spur mounts. They carry a lot of high end optics, and they've got um, shoot. They carry the Thunder Beast line of suppressors and bipods. They have SkyPods. They have now they're carrying impact precision 737 actions they even have uh the light one and all sorts of stuff so whatever it is that you're looking for they've got they've got sales going on right now they've got tons of ammunition stock in fact they they got another shipment of burger ammunition so they have the 73 grain 223 that i really love i mean that stuff 73 grain burger bullets in Lapua brass. And in my carbine, they go about 2850. So a, a 73 grain bullet going 2850. You plug that into your ballistic calculator and tell me that that's not a smoking hot, uh heavy round out of a carbine. I was able to get first place at the steel safari in the gas gun division this year, shooting that very same ammunition. Uh, so I get my stuff there and it would be cool if you guys got something, got put into that, uh, that, uh, Zeiss drawing and, uh, a listener was able to get, you know, one or two of those Zeiss scopes because they're pretty cool. And that's a pretty cool thing that they're giving away. They contribute to matches all over the country. And so they've got, uh, prizes. In fact, the, um, one of maybe two or three years ago when accuracy international was releasing their ATX, they donated a full ATX rifle to that rifles only uh, brawl, you know? So they may be on your radar, but if they're not on your radar, just go ahead up their website and check out the things that they offer. They can ship everywhere in the country and they are a cool, cool company to support. Now, I've got one more thing to say before I jump into this interview with Ryan. I know you listen to podcasts. I know there's a lot of podcasts out there, but I see all the data from the listeners and there's lots of you. If you like this podcast and you want to support it, the best way to do that is to get a membership at riflecraft.com and get more analytics You get training ideas, targets, emails from me, but there's also a second podcast I call the subcast and it's private and it's linked to your RSS feed through that, but you get it just like this podcast. If you like this podcast and you want to double the amount of content that you get per week, that's how you're going to do it. You're going to get podcasts like these, but with much more specific information. You know, sometimes my opinions I hold back, or when I'm interviewing people, I want to hear what they have to say, not just interject my my thoughts. Even though I I talk a lot, Um, I like to speak in generalities and co- concepts. I like to talk about shooting and ballistics and equipment on the Straight Go Podcast. Absolutely, and that's not going to change. But when I go out and figure things out and get numbers and want people to go out and test it i'm posting it there that's only been up for a couple of weeks but it's going to continue to get one or two podcasts a week forever and it's going to the people that are supporting the podcast so not only are you getting to use more features on the website itself for login targets and getting analytics but you're also getting another separate podcast with more specifics more details more biased opinions but also kind of just more opportunity to have shorter tidbits training ideas feedback uh listener questions all that stuff goes there because it's giving back to the people that are really supporting it and that's cool if you want to listen to this and not support it totally fine that's why we do it right to share content get people thinking and try to raise the ability of all the people out there that care to take this content and raise their skill level. But you're going to double the likelihood that you could get better by doubling the content like this. And the subscribers and the people that are kind of part of my coaching program, they are growing and it's measurable. It's documentable and it's quantifiable, right? Over 90% of the people that have come, come through the coaching program, have grown by more than 30% in those variables. You know, I mean, we're talking about mid pack shooters becoming trophy winners in under a year. And, you know, that's just not, it's not normal, but it is when you focus and you train in a deliberate way on the areas that need focus for you specifically. And we're doing that. I'm trying to talk about that in more detail in the subcast, but also, just mentioned that that if you do things smart, you do things right. Whatever your particular outlet is, will get better. And you know, I, I spent a lot of time talking about that and breaking it down and discussing, you know, how we're taking the stuff that people know and people do and really apply it in a specific, targeted way. So if that's into you, uh, then uh, consider being a subscriber or don't. But uh, let's get on to my discussion. With the Ryan Kleckner. But but you're one of those guys that has to be on and probably should be on regularly.
1: (laughs) Well, thanks, man. I'd love to be. However however I can help and learn from you at the same time, I'll do it. I'll be there.
0: When people reach out to you uh, from non-competitive circles, what what Mm -hmm. are the kind of typical questions that, that people want to know something about shooting from you?
1: Um, well, one, everything you've said so far, I've been scribbling notes down because there's so many topics here we could cover. I, I want to dive into each one of these topics that you brought up for a whole night. Um, so when people reach out to me, a lot of what equipment's going to make them be better, a lot of which scope should I get, a lot of which guns should I get, of which I can't answer those questions. Um, some of them try and have me troubleshoot or diagnose what's going on and I try to always steer them back to some of the things you've been talking about, which is the simplicity in things and things and focusing on the reticle and being a better shooter. And uh, I, I have been scribbling notes. I want to say a note here. The last thing you talked about about the older guys shooting the among grands out there is I have kids, so I watch a lot of kids' movies. And one movie I've watched quite a bit is Cars. I don't know if you've ever seen it mm-hmm. you know, animated with Cars. And yep. I can't help but think of the new competition shooters as the Lightning McQueen's. And then the guys at the M1 Garands is Doc Hudson out there. You know, the old dirt track racer is it's still yeah. racing. It's still racing. And I'm not saying that the new guys need to learn from the old guys or even vice versa, but both of them have skills and experiences and things. And Lightning McQueen is the modern race car focused on nuances and, and tiny little improvements in the car where Doc, Doc Hudson's just concerned about getting around the track. And anyway, that's just a funny analogy to me of... We, we overcomplicate things so much when it comes to shooting. I love that you started off by saying one minute of angle is good enough. I was actually surprised to hear you say that because not that I doubt you, but that's so blasphemous when I say that to other people. I actually lose credibility with a lot of people when I say that, that don't want to learn. Once I say that, they think, oh, I can't learn from this guy. Yeah, you know, he thinks one minute of angle is good enough. And then that's when I try and challenge him and say, oh, you're better than that. Okay. I'll tell you what, I'm going to go put a, paper plate out of the thousand yards and you're going to hit it every time right because that's bigger All than right. a minute of angle and it's just not going to happen especially real world circumstances I don't mean to say real world as in I'm um, looking down on competition I think competition is amazing I think it's awesome I think it's what has really had by the way some of the drastic improvements in longer range shooting was because of competition I think it's awesome I just mean the average guy that you asked about what do they have a rifle for right Maybe go hunting, maybe some home defense or just practical skills, you know? So instead of answering what you asked about what they ask, I'd like to answer what I tell them regardless of what they ask. It's to stop chasing that new scope or that new bullet or that new cartridge or that new everything. I'm, I'm one of the most new cartridge averse people I think that's out there. There's a couple I've jumped on with pretty quick because I like them, but most I think they're just reinventing something that's already existed. And I think I can miss the same no matter what the cartridge is, right? And it's just as long <laughs> as I the, the bullet does the same thing every time I can hit the target. So what I tell people to focus on when they're trying to go hunting is stop shooting pretty groups. Stop measuring the group size. Stop shooting on a bench rest. Stop doing all the things that some of these I'm talking about the average shooter. Joe America has a rifle, wants to go deer hunting. If he starts doing research online, he starts watching videos or reading books or things like that. I see them out at the range wanting to worry about loads, even if they're getting into loads or these pretty little groups. And the problem is Joe America that does that and gets his sub one inch group at hundred yards misses the trophy animal because he doesn't know how to shoot off of shooting sticks. Or he doesn't know how to shoot off of a knee or he doesn't know how to have proper fundamentals when shooting because all of his errors that he imparts into the system are hidden by the bench and the sandbags and everything. And out in the field, he can't do it. I, I think these guys would be so much better is get on the bench, shoot pretty groups to zero your rifle. And once your rifle's zeroed, it all depends on your terrain and the, you know, target you're going after. But I'd say hitting a pipe at a couple hundred yards or paper plate with a couple hundred yards, leaning against a post, taking a knee, maybe even doing some jumping jacks and get your heart rate up and trying to have an unsupported or not so stable position. Hitting that paper plate every time at 200 from that kneeling position is way more impressive to me than a half-inch group is at 100 yards.
0: Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Man, I, I mean, I yeah, I preach that stuff. Uh, I'm gonna back up and then go forward. I, I had a podcast. I, I've been doing like short ones with Frank because I, I I drive um, my kids. I play support a lot, and I drive my daughter between schools at lunch, and so I'm in the car for half an hour one way and then half an hour. So I call Frank. I'm, Let's do a quick podcast. And I titled it. Sometimes you got to go left to go right from cars.
1: That's exactly. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah.
0: um, because because we were talking about and, and often talk about this idea of um, we, you know, you kind of need to back up to the fundamentals sometimes mm-hmm. and, and it's easy to get ahead of yourself and, and forget that behind it all there, there should be some kind of fundamental. It gets a little bit easier, I think to hide some of the flaws, but um, I think it's, it's harder to hide some of the flaws with some of the more budget friendly rifles because the budget friendly rifles are lighter not because they're less accurate, at least in my experience. I don't have a lot of budget-friendly rifles. I have a Both, Remington... both
1: ends of the scale, by the way. The most expensive rifles now are the lightest, and the cheapest mm-hmm. rifles now are the lightest.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that that's true. Some of the extremely light ones are, are mm-hmm. incredibly expensive, but I don't have those either. Um, but I do have an old uh, Remington 700P in 308, and, and it's as accurate. It you know, mm-hmm. It's a $500 rifle. And it might... Mm-hmm. I yeah I have a Accuracy International that you know with the scope and all the stuff on it you know it's probably eight or nine thousand dollars and and mm-hmm. this Remington seven hundred P there's no way that they don't shoot as accurately mm-hmm. it's just it's lighter so it's a little bit harder to drive if you if you screw up your fundamentals um, mm-hmm. but it's fun to go back and explore the idea of rifle fundamentals because they're not going to go away as long as we're shooting rifles, those fundamentals aren't going to go away. I think it's interesting that the people that ask you questions about equipment, scope, rifle and troubleshooting is basically the same list that anybody I talk to when people ask them, they're asking the exact same question. So that that's kind of fun. <laughs> it's the same thing. And most people are answering kind of the same stuff. And I, I can't take credit for that because I'm basically just like a, a, a Some sort of like, I don't know, amalgamation of all this stuff that that I've read. But, um, the one inch to to tell you the the truth, I I get a lot of shit too, because I I do compete, but there's so many styles that, that I try everything and Mm -hmm. don't, although somebody that doesn't compete at all would say that, you know, I specialize in precision rifle, but that doesn't mean much. Um, I've never seen a shooter do a craft drill under an inch. Ever. The the people that win all the every fancy style of competition. If if they come to me in person, I've seen some pictures that look like they're under an inch. I don't know anything about how they were shot. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a good shooter shoot a craft drill under an inch. And in fact, at the international precision rifle competition that was in France this year, the first one. It's supposed to be the best shooters from, from around the world. They had a a stage called, this is the way, and it was a craft drill. And, and they put four M away cards. Yeah. It it had a four M away plate and they did the craft drill. And a lot of people were missing, you know, Mm -hmm. a four M away plate. It was, you know, because it was competition, they didn't do it on paper at a hundred they scaled it out to like 400 yards. it's like 400 yards. Uh, I've got it saved here actually, but, but, but the point is it was probably the biggest target at the match mm-hmm. and people still missed it because it's standing kneeling seated pro and it's supported. So you, when, when I tell people, um, you know, it isn't, it's not a challenge. It's not a test in it. it, it it's not a, um, a universal um, standardized test it's it just simply like you mentioned if you're going to shoot from sticks then if you if your sticks are, are kneeling then do the kneeling position off of sticks if you're going to stand on mm-hmm. a tripod or lean up against the tree if, if that's how you plan on doing it then do the standing leaning up against a tree do it however you plan to go out into the world because what it's going to do is give you uh a relevant snapshot of your capability optimal capability there's really no stress involved there's really no wind involved because we're shooting at 100 and and mm-hmm. and you're not excited because of the you know giant buck or something like that you know that that's the baseline and from there i tell them it's only going to get bigger <laughs> and mm-hmm. out of out of tens of thousands of targets i, I think you know we're, we're pushing forty thousand targets entered entered on the site the average size is three and a half inches of 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 right and these are these aren't random shooters. These are people that care enough to go to a range and do mm-hmm. this drill, which means that they're probably you know above average in terms of the 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 spectrum sure and stuff. Are. Way above. Um, average. Mm-hmm. So so if we think about it that way, the average shooter out there shooting three and a half inches, you know, they're able to hit a three three and a half inch mm-hmm. uh, target. You know, uh, you know. Uh, and then you layer on fundamentals and pretty quickly I feel like you could coach somebody to, to read wind um, or to get a decent wind estimate using a kestrel and familiarity with some of the environmental terrain to, to be within around three miles an hour. And and my rule of thumb is is whatever people shoot, if they're if they're planning on shooting in you know inside of eight hundred yards, it's it's gonna add an MOA to that, you know, or add another inch, probably if they understand when to live, if they've never been coached, it could be two inches. Mm-hmm. So I just start there and, and I just, I say, all right, you know, let just, just like you said, when, when uh, this year I've been coaching a lot and people have been coming here and I do this thing called the unconventional skill assessment. And basically for t- for two days, I have people shoot and I measure all their numbers at distance and on paper. And I put together a report that, that assesses their capability in a number of areas, almost like a physical. Like you get blood work, mm-hmm. yep. And and I say, um, you know, here's if I if I had to bet on your shooting, this is how I would bet based on based on these metrics. And and nobody's ever really happy with what I tell them, but I tell them, look, if you here based on these numbers, this is your biggest area of weakness. So if you can bring that weakness up you're going to also increase your hit probability at a, at a fixed distance, or you're, it's going to push your capability back mm-hmm. but either way. You're going to, you're, you're going to improve stuff. And then once you've raised that capability, there's going to be a new thing. That's that lowest hanging fruit. Let's work on that rather than work on everything mm-hmm. all at once. Right. And, um, and, and then, you know, those people that are sad because I told them that they shoot, you know, four M away are now shooting two M away and they're really happy. And, uh, that you know it's cool to see people um invest that time in training but it has to be training the right way so having said that you're you were a shooter prior to the military but you're formally trained Mm -hmm. in marksmanship right so how much of the way you think about shooting now came from that formal training?
1: A lot in that, I was able to recognize how wrong most of it was. <laughs> I, I would say, so I, I give very little actual credit. You know, There's not a sentence that I repeat in front of students that was necessarily a sentence that was told to me. However, of all these fundamentals and all these skills that I learned, they all relate to shooting they just might relate into things that i don't do or believe anymore um i don't blame the military i, th- I think the military is awesome it's the best thing that ever happened to me with joining the military it gave me a chance to grow up and i couldn't believe that i got the opportunity that i did at the time the school was called sodic the special operations target interdiction course as far as i'm concerned it is the best or was the best sniper school in the world it was kind of the finishing school for snipers, and I used to jokingly call it the Noah's Ark of snipers because when you show up day one, you have a couple SEALs, a couple Delta guys, a couple FBI guys, a couple Rangers, a couple of this. It was this Noah's Ark in this classroom of maybe 20 people at the most, and all these guys had careers as snipers, and... I hadn't shot an M24 yet once. That was the military sniper rifle. I had just made it over to the sniper section. And they said, hey, congratulations, Kleckner. You're going to Sotik, which made me really unpopular with the rest of the snipers that have been waiting years to go to the school. And just because of the circumstances, I ended up going. And it was great. I became a really good shooter because of that school. What was great about that school, unlike most military schools, is they taught you to shoot. So you had a shooting coach behind you and your teammate the entire course. So it was a two month course. And there were days, two months is a long time in the military for a course. There were days that you would just be on the flat range, known distance shooting at paper targets. And you would have an instructor behind the two of you and just listening to you two talk and coaching you on an entire long day in the sun, shooting at targets. And just getting that day after day after day after day of having a professional coach there with you diagnosing your shooting, helping you improve was phenomenal. And I never learned the wrong way. I only started learning that way. And I think the way I manipulate a trigger, the way I reload a rifle, the way I do all that came from there. So maybe I'll give it more credit. I learned from the military. I should have said teaching how I learned from teaching isn't necessarily from theirs because the military has a problem and it has no other choice. I don't, I don't fault the military for this, but it has no other choice but to regurgitate what's been told to them from someone else. You know, I can't count how many times I've heard stories of guys in basic training, hearing stuff from drill instructors. That's just ridiculous. You know, people being shot in the pinky with the 45 ACP that were spun around three times and then died immediately. It's just things like that, that I don't blame the poor guy that said that because the majority of what we know, Chris, is told to us by other people. Right. right? The majority of what we know, we have to trust other people. So they just trusted the wrong person. So there's a lot of that for the military that just, I don't know, um, the one example I give, because I, I correct that in my book, and my book isn't that old, but when it came out, I remember a little bit of a kerfuffle. Is that the right word? A little bit of a uh, people being upset that I had said that more humidity was less dense air, because everybody else seemed to be saying the opposite. I was taught the opposite repeatedly. Military sniper manuals say the opposite. A lot of these sniper books or long-range books before me said the opposite. Now, in the big scheme of things, it doesn't matter. If everyone listening here forgot that humidity existed, it's not going to make a difference on your ability to hit a target. It's not. Just forget about humidity, in my opinion. But the fact of the matter is, taking the time to look it up and asking, is this really true to everything, made a big difference for me. And I taught for years after the military as a sniper instructor. And that is where I learned a ton. That's where I learned I have to be able to distill what I'm doing or how to do this into words that that person is going to not only understand, but that they can put into practice. I can't say, shoot better on the firing line, right? I can't say, miss less. That doesn't work. And me giving them the win call for them doesn't work. So having to figure out over years of standing there and analogies and explanations and, well, yeah, a bullet drops and it leaves the barrel, but it's also rising relative to the ground. But that's because your barrel's up. And how do I explain this? Well, I learned that that's best explained as I'm walking with the students to the 100-yard targets to check the targets, picturing throwing a football. Or as we walked by, there was a tree that I would pick up a rock and I'd point at the tree and I'd say, see the top of that tree? I'm going to throw the rock at the tip of that tree. And I'd have them stand next to me and we would watch how it would fall away from that arc, even though I was you know, angling higher. So those little analogies or ways to describe things or realizing what was important for people, that's where I attribute a lot of the ability to explain things in simple ways. And also the ability to stop worrying about crap. You know, I don't care. I, I, th- I might say this in the book, but I've said this plenty of times before. I don't care if the turret on your scope has shapes. If you have to turn to triangle to hit at 500 yards, then turn to triangle and hit the 500 yard target. Mm -hmm. You know, or I'd have this a lot too. I I have the very, because the military background, because the the teaching I've been doing before, I have a very tactical, uh, that's an overused word, but I have a tactical mindset to shooting. I'm picturing shooting bad guys
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and getting a hit now and getting a hit before they get a hit on you. And I'm fond of saying, I don't care why the bullet hit five feet, right? Adjust and hit the target. Cause I see so many shooters will get wrapped around the axle, of their ballistic software and having conversations with their partners about, was it the wind or was it this, or was the setting wrong? Or was it spin drift or was my, is my barrel bent? You know, what what is going on? And my answer is who cares that bullet just hit five feet, right? If you're telling me that was a good shot. Let's not worry about why I have five feet, right? Let's go in and aim five feet left, hit the target. And then we can stop and diagnose about what went wrong. But so many guys get so worried about the minutia. Just, yeah, there's a drill we used to do that, um, I, we did it every class, but it was my favorite drill to do when I had an ego. So when I had, you know, a group of snipers from a team that maybe had an ego that didn't want to, you know, try to either learn from me or wanted to have a measuring contest before the course. I loved this drill. And what we would ha- let them do is shoot six shots at hundred yards from sling supported positions in 60 seconds. And it depended on what year it was. It was an eight inch target or a 10 inch target. Let's just say the 10 inch target, 10 inch steel target. For most people, it's bigger than their head, but I got a big head. So that's a headshot on me. I got a 10 inch circle. And these guys with $10,000 rifles and unlimited optics and ammo and training and all this, I would have them start from the standing position. They had to drop to a knee and shoot two rounds, drop to the seated position, shoot two rounds, and then drop to the prone. And the prone had to be on their elbows, no bipods, and shoot two rounds. And they had to get six shots within 60 seconds, and I just counted hits. So it was very easy to say, oh, you got a four, you got a six. A very quantitative way to compare scores and i would walk down the line and we would all do it and it was amazing that these amazing shooters professionally trained snipers would get three and four out of six on a 10 inch target at 100 yards because they're used to heavy rifles on bipod legs with with you know sandbags in the back and great conditions and the second they allowed that internal monologue to go a little bit left a little bit left a little bit higher right about now and they jerk the trigger and yank the shot off the target, they would miss. And then I would go over to my vehicle and pull out a cheap Romanian Wasser 10 AK-47 with Wolf bulk ammo and the little Russian green strap sling. And I would usually get six out of six. Sometimes I'd get five out of six. With iron sights, I'd get six out of six. And I would do that as a little bit of a ego thing, but mostly to say... Hey guys, it's not the rifle. This AK is so inaccurate, it probably only shoots eight minutes of angle. But that's a 10 inch target. Eight minutes is all I needed. So, right, right.
0: anyway, yeah. Right, right. But you probably heard back later from those people that in reality, there's probably some of them who actually encountered having to take a shot like that. Oh, and uh,
1: they do, which is they, they absolutely do, which is a big breakdown, by the way, of training. That's a whole other conversation, but military and police sniper training, it's improving, but it is still, in my opinion, ineffective at training them for what they actually need to do.
0: You still had to do reticle ranging.
1: We did. Yeah. We okay. had, we had great laser rangefinders. I mean, we had the Leica Vipers and Vectors and things like the amazing rangefinders, even back then. Mm-hmm. We still used iron sights, Chris. I mean, in the first two weeks of Sodic, you had to use your micrometer iron sights on the m24 and until you passed your two week or maybe it's three weeks test you weren't even allowed to be issued your scope and bipod legs so you had to spend those first couple weeks on nothing but a nra positional style sling and iron sights out to 800 it was awesome awesome. because it really focused on the fundamentals but some of the things we learned there that i don't necessarily believe in and we've talked about this before we might disagree on this one but i'm not a big believer of cold bore anything I've seen rifles where I have no other explanation other than, yep, that rifle clearly looks like it has something different on the cold bore, but I think it either doesn't exist or if it does exist, I think it is something that should not be worried about compared to what I call a cold shooter. And that was one of the things as an example from the military, you know, it was, it was beat into us that you had to foul your barrel. Or you weren't going to be effective. And my problem with that is a lot of shooting well comes into confidence. Performing when you're hunting, performing on a target. A lot of it has to do with your ability to be confident in your rifle and your ability to make it work. And so when you're shooting, I'm not pulling the trigger and saying, well, hope that's close. Instead, I'm focusing on a certain spot on the reticle for a certain reason. Because I have the confidence to know that if I do my part, it's going to hit if I do this. And some of these sniper voodoo, like you're, I, I'm, I'm using my fingers to like, I'm sprinkling this magic sniper dust over the rifle. There's some of these voodoo things that were taught to us. That I think so many guys believe in that really mess up their brain and mess up their day because they get wrapped around the axle in this minutia that they didn't have their fouling shots. And that's why they're going to miss this target or they didn't do X, Y, or Z and where they're going to miss. Now to your point about speed drop and wind number, that's awesome. I don't believe, though, that to the Joe America shooter, they should be worrying about that yet. I think speed drop and win number and all these myriad tools that we have are great at your ability to engage a target quickly and engage the second, third, and fourth targets quickly as well for most of these guys are going to be drawn towards these uh, trick makes it seem like I'm disparaging it. It's not a trick, but they get drawn towards these tricks and they forget to learn how to properly apply trigger control or how to properly have the scope set up for them mm-hmm. or how to practice in point. some of these unsupported positions and things like that. And you know, I, I've seen guys, I just got back from an elk hunt with my daughter and um, you talk to guys out there and they still get wrapped around the axle on whatever laser range factor they have or wanting to know xyz specs on the bullet that they're shooting and my answer is have have we worried about how to hit the elk first like can we get that down first you know because again turn to triangle i don't i don't care what you have to turn to Mm -hmm. turn to turn to it have good fundamentals and hit the target then we can worry about it later
0: yeah well that's a good point no i appreciate it i think um I often forget because I'm thinking so much about results. And for me, results, it does go to repeatable smaller and smaller targets, but I forget, um, you know, these tricks have been working, but I've been working on them really hard. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I think everybody kind of needs to be shaking a little bit. I I see what you're saying. Actually, um, do you know do you know Jacob Bynum? He, he owns a facility in Texas called Rifles Only. I and- definitely
1: know of him and his facility. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and, and like, you know, he's been training, um, you know, all sorts of people for, for a long time mm-hmm. and he's, he's big on fundamentals and I, I actually just talked to him and he said something very, very similar to you He said, you know, really it comes back to the fundamentals. More people are missing because of anti- anticipation. So you get him on a static target. He has a lot of movers. And and I said, you know, mm-hmm. I, I asked him about, you know, what are you, what are you seeing cause I try to make predictable things. Like if you miss left, what are the likely causes you miss left? If you miss right, what are the likely causes you missed? Right. And, uh, you, you said that people <laughs> anticipation yeah. drives a lot of the misses that he sees with people who oh, haven't sure. rein, reinforced that. And, and with movers they're you know, and, and you said that you say something in your book about the, uh, you know, I'm drawing like a, just random lines around, but, but you have like, um, you know, a dotted path, almost like a fly buzzing around something and and trying to demonstrate the wobble. And then you say, all right, I'm going to try to time it when it's in the center and I'm going to shoot here. And what happens, you know, what Jacob said, what happens with people there is they say they try to shoot there and then they push it off. And Mm -hmm. rather than just ignore the wobble and just break a clean trigger press and it'll go in that wobble. And if the wobble is inside the target, Well, then you got, you know, great results.
1: I call it acceptable accuracy. And if I could gift everyone listening to this something, it would be the ability to let go of being too precise. Here's another life lesson is maybe someone else has called it that before. I'm not taking credit for it, but that's what I've decided to call it is acceptable accuracy is you define your target size. If you want to hit the dead center of the steel target, well then you've now decided that the center is the target. If you want to hit anywhere on the target, then you've decided that the whole size of the target is the target. If you're shooting at an elk and you want to hit the kill zone, well, you've now decided the kill zone is the target. So you decide at any given distance, what is an acceptable hit on a target? And remember that you did that. If I say a kill zone on an elk for argument's sake is, I don't know, 14 inches circle. If I decide that's the target, then I should be happy with a hit anywhere within that target. (laughs) Don't forget that right. if you want to hit that E type silhouette at 500 yards, and you don't care where, you just want to have hear a ding, then be happy when you made it go ding, right? Mm-hmm. Don't try to be too precise. Don't let the, don't let that perfection get in the way. But the other thing is that wobble. I don't believe in just let the wobble happen and pull the trigger, because if the wobble is outside of the target, that's not acceptable. But if that wobble is within that target that you yourself defined. That's what I call acceptable accuracy. And if that reticle is moving within the okay zone and you start applying proper pressure to the trigger and the gun goes off and I hit the edge of the target, that's called a hit. Mm -hmm. Versus being so worried about precision that you're worried about that perfect center for some reason. You go ready now and you jerk the trigger and yank it completely off the target. That's called a miss.
0: Yeah. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, I've, I've never seen a picture of somebody smiling there with their elk with calipers in the kill zone to say, you know, where in it they Correct. hit it, right? They're just yeah. happy. They, they're they happy with that with that elk.
1: Well, to me, uh, I hear that all with the bullet failure. You guys hear, you hear hunters talk about that, Chris? Hunters mm-hmm. hold up bullets in their hand. They say, oh, this bullet failed. That's a very popular thing online and forums and hunters talk to each other. they will take a picture of a bullet in their hand and, of course, it's bloody. And they say, look at this bullet. It failed. <laughs> I have to ask... The bullet that's bloody and in your hand because it killed an animal failed? Tell me more. <laughs> this bullet clearly didn't fail.
0: Oh, man. I've never heard that. That's crazy. you, you so... got to Google it after
1: this. You're going to see endless reams of, of pages of just people talking about failure of a bullet because it either held together or didn't hold together or mushroomed or didn't mushroom enough. I'm like Guys, oh. it worked. It's in your
0: hands. Wow, Interesting. That's, yeah, man. Uh, yeah, I I can't even go down some of those some of those things because <laughs> it, it yeah it just takes too much time and and I just like mostly I like shooting paper. Okay, if if I had to make a bet, most people in the country still shoot MOA scopes. Do you think that's um, true? Guaranteed,
1: yeah, by a long shot.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so I knew you we were going to bring this up because you texted me asking me about this. Can I share a yeah. number with you? Yeah. Yeah. So I knew you were going to text me about this. So about a half hour before our podcast started, I said, you know what? I'm going to look at this number in case this comes up. I, I So I guess I should say the same thing in because I don't know for sure, but I say guaranteed way more people shoot minute of angle optics than than mill scopes. Can we agree that mill scopes weren't even really a thing till the past 15, 20 years?
0: Yeah, I think that. Um... In America at least. Yeah the that and it sounds like a i I didn't witness the change but had moa scopes with mill or mill reticles with moa turrets i think i had
1: nine rifles issued to me and one of my complaints was that i had to be a jack of all trades because i had from a 223 you know spr all the way up to a 50 cal we had 300 wind mags we had 308s we had everything in between and we had to learn a dope and learn how to operate all these different guns and it was a mess but so that was 2001, 2002, 2003 when I was doing this. Mill scopes really weren't a thing yet. Okay. So let's just first hopefully agree that, at least in America, before at least the 2000s, mill scopes weren't even available in Cabela's. Okay. I would say a mill scope wasn't even available in Cabela's to probably 2010, but I'm, I might be pushing it there. So let's just say in the past 10 or 20 years, I'll say 20 to give the sake of argument. Whereas today, I think we can agree. There are more mill scopes available than we've ever had before. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Mill scopes are gaining in popularity, not waning in popularity. Optics planet is one of those websites that has just about every scope you can imagine. I'm Mm -hmm. sure you're familiar with it. Yeah. So before the podcast, I went to optics planet selected rifle scopes filter by adjustment type, they have 2,165 scopes available in minutes. They have 600 scopes available in mill three and a half times more men of the bangle scopes. Now they're a smart company. These scope manufacturers are smart companies. They wouldn't make three and a half times as many men of the angle scopes if that wasn't the demand. Right. And I encourage someone to go into the local Cabela's and just look at the scopes that are not the high end scopes, not the premium long range shooting scopes. I mean, every scope that's there. And I think you'll see the same thing I see, which is at least three and a half times more men of the angle scopes there as well. Look at any rifle that comes with the scope as a package, a hunting package, you know, for a budget-oriented. They're always men of the angle scopes. So I'm just saying in the past 20 years where mills have been popular, I think there are still at least three and a half times more men of the Bangle shooters. Now, if we take into account everything from the 1900s, people's scopes that still exist and rifles are still in their saves. Those I think were a hundred percent men of the Bengal. So yeah, I, I think men of the Bengal is way more yeah, in Joe America world.
0: Right. 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 And so now, I mean, I, I, I realize that just talking about this is, is now stirring pots and people are probably like their blood pressure is going to go up and I, sure. and I don't, I, I'm not, I really don't care one way or the other because well, I'm
1: not saying one's better. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't, I, I, I don't think, honestly, I don't think there's really any difference. I just, I just think it's fascinating. Uh, the best argument that I heard so far for Mills is the availability of diverse reticle options. And so, if you look across manufacturers, you're more likely to have a different reticle that might appeal to you in Mills. And that's that's demand based. Uh, that is know, absolutely
1: well, true. I think that's a great argument.
0: Yeah, I think that's but, a compelling argument as well. And and I you know I I would agree with that but but I hadn't thought about that and and I I have to give credit Morgan King is a shooter who does precision rifle shooting and he said you know, I, uh, because I ask everybody like what you know what, if if you had to pick one or the other and it you know you weren't cross talking data which does not really matter either way I I don't I don't think one way or the other and he said you know. He didn't care either. He has MOA scopes, but he's noticed that the, the mill reticles are more diverse. And he was a part of designing the latest reticle f- for a loophole. He mm-hmm. He's one of their shooters. And and I, I think I really like that. But he said, you know, you can't find, they actually made it in MOA, that same reticle. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and I think that's a great answer. I mean, it's perfectly acceptable to me because the mm-hmm. reticle makes a big difference in, Probably what, what you said confidence, like you have to have hundred percent confidence. And and if you are relying heavily on the reticle, then you need the data that you rely on. But if you're relying heavily on the visual field without distractions, then you're mm-hmm. gonna want a, a different option. And those those two things are a personal choice, and and nothing should sway you if it's a personal if you if all you want is a duplex reticle because you want to see everything and you don't need all of those mm-hmm. subtensions. Well then shoot, man, grab that duplex reticle. I, I got a, um, a, a cheaper loophole, and it's got a little duplex, uh, oh. a little cross and, and it's illuminated. So you can turn on. So it's essentially just glass with an illuminated red dot. And if I turn the red dot off, then, then I can see a little plus, but I really like the illuminated dot. Mm-hmm. And I can say hands down that, If if I need to see something, when I shoot with that scope, I see things that I can't see when I have any other reticle because my eyeballs get drawn to the reticle and they get distracted. Maybe I maybe Mm. I've got like you know my eyeball my right eyeball has like ADHD or something. But I'll, I'll I'll have two rifles and I'll have that one and I'll have one with a you know a more complicated reticle and I'll shoot one same caliber. I'll you know, I'll see the trace of the bullet and I'll get on the other one and I won't see the trace. Wow. So then I'll 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 dial it and I'll shoot on the plate and I'll see my impact. And I'll get on the reticle and I'll shoot and I won't see my impact. I'll just see the plate move. And for some reason it distracts my attention. And um I you know I, I haven't found the perfect reticle. Um but it definitely has an impact on shooters abilities and finding wow. the right one. I think is important. And I think if I tell anybody anything, you to get online, look at all the reticle types and then go to a store. Don't, don't worry about like the, the glass quality and the light and all that stuff. Look, figure out if you can like see through that reticle and use that data or is it too busy and if it's too busy, find another one. And if that brand doesn't have it, look at a different brand because they all have their own variations on stuff. And some are just too busy for my brain. Yeah. You know? and uh you know if i for me personally less seems to be better except that i rely on some of that some of the subtensions to be able to measure things and so um i've been training myself to dial elevation and wind so that i can focus on my aim point mm-hmm. and rely less on the reticle the problem is you know when you need to measure or make something yeah. you have no you have no point of reference and that that becomes complicated but um the the more clear the center of the target or the center of the reticle is for me personally the the better um and i and i my numbers don't look the same i have a um or or uh the the old mile high range frank and i built up for the unconventional skill assessment so in fort morgan about 90 minutes from me um you know we have uh 50 50 some odd targets in in a 140 degree field of fire from 100 yards to to 25 to 3000 yards and then inside of 1000 every 200 yards i've got plates in different arrays and, and i could we have mm-hmm. the, you know the, it's it's for the diagnostic evaluation and i'll run myself through some of those diagnostics and I'll perform differently with different reticles and i think like wow this this really does hammer on that point and uh, you know i'll have somebody else and they'll say the opposite is true for them they, they do better with the reticle that that i perform leasing because somehow it works good for their brain and but but how do you answer that like it's personal nobody wants to hear that well it depends well yeah it depends but it would be cool <laughs> to be able to just say like all right i got 10 here's 10 scopes Let's try them all and pick the one you like because that's what it's going to come down to. And uh,
1: for sure, but you're in the weeds yeah. on the minutia of precision shooting and how you can eke percentage point better performance out of yourself, which is awesome.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And if we're having that conversation, we completely agree. If you're talking back to Joe America, you're you they're lost. You know, they just want to hear from me, which I get all the time. Which scope do I get? My answer is it depends. That's the lawyer in me. Or what purpose is this for? For example, there's no such thing as the scope. A scope that's going to work for you in a competition is not going to work for hunting. One, it's too heavy and too big for me to lug around. But I don't want a first focal plane scope hunting. I prefer a second focal plane scope when I'm hunting. The opposite is true when I'm target shooting. The reason I prefer it when I'm hunting I'm very often shooting at low power or the lowest power available on my scope because I'm trying to identify which animal I'm shooting at. I'm trying to identify a shadow of a body moving through the trees in lower light. I'm trying to shoot in unstable positions when things are moving around a bunch. I'm trying to refind the animal as it moved behind the tree when I put my laser rangefinder down and I picked my rifle back up. So I'm often at low power One of those second focal plane scopes, or I'm sorry, first focal plane scopes with fancy reticles at low power, those reticles disappear. They get so fine, they're hard to see, especially in low light. So for me, I want a loophole duplex, especially if it's illuminated, nice, thick, clear thing to see so I can easily see the target. When I'm shooting precision rifle, I do like a more complicated reticle because I like using, not the complication, but I like using the measurements and the holds and the things like that. So I, I tell people minutes or mills, one's not better or worse than the other. I, I love that compelling argument about you have more reticle choices, but that's not because mills is better. That's because manufacturers chose to get on the mill train and offer those nice reticles in mills. That's why. And it doesn't matter why, but it's a fact is that you have more options there. So I tell people, one, it doesn't matter, but if you're starting to get into precision rifle, especially long range shooting, whether it's tactical or competition, whatever it is, today you're starting fresh go mill. To me, that's not that debatable. Uh, even though I just said there's not much of a difference, you might as well go mill because that's where the premium scopes are going. Some of the best scopes I like and enjoy shooting with don't even come, I don't think, in the of angle options. So you might as well go mill. And also, the shooters that you're going to learn from and be around are probably already on mills. Yeah. It's so much easier to ask, what's that wind call? What was your elevation? Learning tricks like speed drop on mills, you might as well. However, if you're into hunting and you just want to get to be a better shooter and you're not that worried about racing between one target to the next and wind at extreme distances and things like that, I encourage minutes, especially for hunting. And I say it like this, if you shot at 500 yards and you were 10 inches low, could you picture 10 inches low? And most guys will nod their heads. I could picture 10 inches. Okay, then shoot minutes. How many centimeters is that? I'll hold up 10 inches with my fingers and say, how many centimeters is that? well, oh, shoot. I have no idea how many centimeters that is. Okay. Then let's just keep with minutes of angle for you. You're hunting. You need to shoot men of the deer. There you go. Versus precision rifle.
0: Yeah. Uh, that That's really interesting though. I, I don't know. It's actually, I, I've read it and I've seen it on paper, but I, I don't know. How many people could, because you, you know, without a, without a reference and knowing the actual size, like if you put out a 50% IPSC, you know, a 66% Mm -hmm. IPSC and a full, and you didn't tell people what the scale of the target actually was and and Mm -hmm. you just, you had them shoot it. And then you said, how many inches right or left or up or down did you hit? Um, Contextually, like, you know, trying to wrap your head around distance and scale and size would mm-hmm. would be really fascinating. I'd have to convert it, um, but I, I, I don't. I don't. I mean, in a, in a practical context, I don't think it's hard to convert back and forth between Mills and moa. In fact, you're, you're
1: good at it, though. Um, you're good at it, and you've spent a lot of time practicing it. I'm talking, average guy, has yeah. one box of ammunition for the same five years. Goes hunting once a year, might shoot yeah. one or two rounds a year. Yeah, you, I think you can at a couple hundred yards, even a few hundred yards, if it's all about getting just a hit. Mm-hmm. Though most of those guys can say, "Oh shoot, that was a couple feet low," and they can make the adjustment.
0: Uh-huh. Here in Colorado, like I, I could like run up to a deer and like smack it if I wanted to. So I can't imagine trying to shoot it from far away. Um, what what's like an average? It, do you think it's a? Do you think the distance to the game animal is kind of? Sp- state specific you know it, it, in general For sure. mm-hmm. um For sure. because because i can imagine northern arizona is a lot like colorado where but but as you go south as the terrain you yeah, know has less trees animals are going to be farther get farther and farther away what what um what are like the average distances that people are are you know harvesting elk and deer um you know, in Arizona, Colorado, those kind of places.
1: So a couple hundred yards out here is not unheard of. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's not considered a stretch or a long shot. If someone say, said they shot at an elk, it was a couple hundred yards away out West, anywhere out West. Whereas yeah. in Tennessee, where I lived for years or Connecticut, where I lived for years, 60 yards is a long shot. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, most public ranges, it was hard to find a hundred yard range in Connecticut. Because the shots weren't that far because the terrain was so thick and you couldn't stalk on an animal and you couldn't glass from one hilltop to the next because there wasn't public land to even see that far. You're in a tree stand shooting at archery distances. So, yeah, it actually definitely mattered. The rifle, the cartridges mattered. Manufacturers, I come from the manufacturing side. We put a lot of thought into this as well. What cartridges and what rifles would we offer? This is a brush gun. It's not going to be offered in a long-range cartridge. It's going to be offered in a slow, fat bullet that can punch through brush and maybe shoot 50 yards at the most. Or this rifle is going to be a Western big-game long-range shooting rifle. Well, this needs to be a long-range cartridge. Um, There's a lot of discussion on the ethics of long-range hunting, and my answer to anyone that is curious about this, because I do get asked that one quite a bit too, is there is no number of a distance where I think it's ethical or not, or hunting or not. I am supremely concerned with an ethical kill. I, I, hunt, I try to make it that all the meat, me and my family eat is something I killed. I fail sometimes, but I, I, I try to do that. My, my daughter and I both got an elk a couple of weeks ago for the next year. We're fine on steaks and, and burger. Um, at least we're going to be giving away a bunch too. So, I hunt a lot. I know where my meat comes from, but if I see a mouse in a trap that is still half alive, it ruins at least my day. I feel so bad for the animal suffering. Okay. So I have no problem killing animals, but I have a problem with animal suffering. So an ethical humane kill is what I'm aiming for. Mm-hmm. I am not the greatest shooter, but I'm probably better than average. And I could probably shoot an animal effectively, confidently, with a, in a kill zone, good shot for the caliber I have at a further distance than Joe America. So I can't give you a number because what I could maybe right. do at 400, 500 yards. You might not be able to do it 50 yards. Mr. Doesn't know how to shoot a rifle. So I don't know what the number is, but my problem is I love hunting so much. And I grew up bow hunting that I think most of the sport in hunting is getting close to the animal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I, I summarize right. it this way. If my biggest risk is spooking the animal that I'm hunting. If my biggest risk is missing the animal that I'm target shooting.
0: Oh, so every, that's, that's every, really everyone cool.
1: everyone take it from that what you want. Yeah.
0: God, I love that. The biggest risk is spooking the animal when you're hunting. I I don't I have hunted, but I I don't kind of I don't self-identify as a hunter, so I I'm fascinated by people that hunt because I often see people posting their their tree stand archery shooting out east and then i see people posting their archery mm-hmm. shooting out west and and i've i've worked with a lot of hunters um as a coach and at being able to assess their capabilities and and mm-hmm. talk about the distances that that they hunt in but everybody's story and approach is different and i and I, I just mm-hmm. think it's cool that they like to do they like to do that to me i think it would be it's the most fun to try to get as close as possible. And and I told somebody yeah. that I would be a hunter if I could hunt with my, with, with like a hatchet, you know, but, but maybe that um... <laughs>
1: you can. Well, so the reason I like hunting is not only I want a uh, free range, organic meat. I want to see where my meat came from. I want to be self-sufficient, but very analogous to being a sniper is very little of the actual job has to do with truly shooting. So in the movies, it's the, the role of the sniper, I think, is a little over-romanticized. Being a sniper sucked. That was not a great job. It was a lot of carrying obnoxiously heavy packs, walking up and down mountains with you and somebody else in the middle of nowhere, looking at something for days and not doing anything about it. Or I, I often tell people my, my radio was more lethal than my rifle was. I could call in fire and be more effective with the radio than I could a rifle. But... To be an effective sniper, it required solid survival skills, land navigation skills, physical fitness and training to be able to do things like that. How to use technology and satellite antennas and HPW notebooks and sa- and using a camera with these amazing lenses to to call in intelligence and to maybe call in fire and then medical skills and all these things. And then there was a little bit of shooting. Same kind of thing goes with hunting. You take the best shooter in the world that has no idea how to hunt. At all. I know you don't give him any tips on hunting at all, as in don't wear bright white and do jumping jacks. Give him no tips. He's going to be a horrible hunter. Mm -hmm. So being able to shoot that minute of angle and thousand yard target every single time is wonderful. I'm not saying hunting's better or harder at all. I'm just saying it's different. Now imagine that that thousand yard target that that guy could shoot a minute of angle every time. Now I say, guess what? You've just been sitting out in the dark for two hours. And you have frost on your face and you're shivering and freezing. You're hungry. Your butt fell asleep because you've been sitting in the same spot or you've been on a knee for 35 minutes, which is a long time being on a knee and your legs are shaking. And this thousand yard target is moving throughout the woods and you can't find it. You got to go find this thousand yard target. It's not even going to be there. And when you do find it and you get ready, it's moving and it's not moving as in hard to engage moving. It's moving behind trees. Or walking closer to you or walking out of the way and stopping. And then you got to stop and ask yourself, what bullet do you have? Let alone what cartridge do you have? What bullet do you have? Do you have a bullet that is designed to break apart quickly and dump energy? That's my favorite type of hunting bullet. I'm pretty counterculture when it comes to hunting. I like bullets that break apart and dump energy quickly. But because I shoot those kind of bullets and I bring those kind of bullets in the field, I know I cannot take a shot on an elk. Across the canyon, 300 yards away, while well, it's quartered away from me, because that bullet's not going to drive through five feet of meat to get to the kill zone. It's not going to do it. Vice versa, if I have another type of bullet, or what cartridge do I have, or what circumstance? So all these things come together, and that's why I love the hunting. Is it's not just shooting; it's it's finding everything else and going together, which is goes back to also why I I don't like the term. So I got to think of a better one. But that Joe America, man. Hit a paper plate at 200 yards from any position, you're going to be a much more successful hunter than having a rifle that's so complicated with a reticle that you can't even see at low power, that you're great at shooting three-eighths-inch groups at 100 yards, but you're not great at finding the animal or making the shot when it actually counts. I'm more concerned, even for tactical shooters, military shooters, is how fatigued are they going to be when they're carrying this rifle for multiple days up and down hills? How able are they going to be able to pick up the rifle and engage multiple targets from a standing fighting position if need be? How much ammo can they carry? You know, how light is the ammunition and how little recoil is it for the trade-off of effectiveness on the target? You know, getting the biggest, baddest cartridge out there, that is such a long action that it's harder to operate the rifle. The rifle is now heavier. The recoil so much that you're now going to flinch more things like that. Don't make sense to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. I want to back up a little bit because you were talking about essentially target reference points. How do you teach people to um, locate and then talk on to a target? Because this is a, it's interesting to me and I've been asking people Uh and and I had a pretty good conversation this morning with another guy. um, And and I'm really curious because that is a very difficult um, Mm -hmm. skill. It's a very difficult part of shooting with someone else is, how do we talk on? And how do you teach somebody? Yeah, to communicate where something is, because you know I've I've seen you know at team matches as a, as a RO uh, around here, you know teams getting like completely almost going to blows because it's by the bush, not that bush, the other bush, yeah, exactly. it's over there, it's right, can't you see it? It's there, and and you're thinking like, oh man, this isn't going well for them. But it's it's under the biggest cloud in the sky
1: right now. Yeah, it sure is. Can I expand your question a little bit to all communication, not just finding the target? 100%. So I, a pet peeve of mine at the range, I won't let it bother me when it's strangers. But with students, one of the things I'll harp on a lot is their communication as the team. And there are a few things that I'm repeating constantly on the firing line with students. One of maybe the most being focused on the radical steady pressure on the trigger when someone's having a hard time shooting a target. But another one is me hollering from the background as I'm spotting for the whole line that's shooting. Stop telling him where he missed. Tell him what he needs to do to hit. So it drives me nuts when especially professional shooters, these military police guys where lives might be on the line, will shoot their rifles not run the bolt, if it's a bolt gun. Even if it's a gas gun, sit there with the bolt locked to the rear and not change magazines. Staring through their scope, trying to look at their pretty hit or their pretty miss. Looking at their buddy, did you see that? No, I didn't see that. Well, maybe I did. I think it might have been low. How low? I don't know, it was a couple feet low. Really? What was the distance? And they have a full discussion. While the target that apparently was important enough that it needed to be shot is still unshot. And that's where I come back to the beginning where I say, who cares why it was two feet or five feet right? Aim five feet left, hit the target, and go diagnose later. Um, so to me, the the life lesson ones there too are stop focusing on why you missed or how far you missed, instead focus on what you need to hit. So if I missed a mill low, all I want to hear my partner say is up one mil. I don't want to hear you missed low. It was one mil low. In order to fix that, you now need to shoot one mil higher. All I want to hear on my partner is one mil up. That's it. And all my partner should be hearing from me when I shot the, when I take the shot is as that recoil is even happening is I want to be telling my partner whether it was a clean shot or not. Because if I jerked the shot low, my partner can't tell me to adjust up. My partner might see the impact low, but my partner doesn't know if I'm the one that jerked it low or if it really was bad dope or bad dad out there. But if I am giving a, that was a good shot. If I'm giving a, a good call. I just want to hear an immediate correction when I need to to hit. So one, I like to simplify that. Two, I like to be precise about what we're talking about with these units of measurement and things like that. Back and forth, I never want to talk in clicks. That might be my biggest pet peeve. I just I just realized what my biggest one is when people say "come up three clicks," I come running over. What the hell's a click? On his scope, a click is half a minute. On his scope, a click's a quarter minute. On his scope, a click is a tenth of a mil. Let's talk in actual measurements here. That's a big one. But yeah, when it comes to finding targets, uh, start big, go small. I'll even be so bold as to say that way, that hillside. So really big, down to small, which you can't do when you're zoomed in too much in your scope. I like to be zoomed out. That hillside, it has three fingers, yes? I'll, I'll get you to agree with me that it's got three fingers. No? Okay, see the two off to the right there? This one coming here, it's got grass. That's a finger also. Okay, I see that. Okay, it's got three fingers, yes? All right. The middle finger. Coming down that hill, come down about halfway down that middle finger, look through your scope. I'll be using naked eyes until then if I need to. About halfway down, I see an open brown patch at the top. It's got two trees. The two trees are the right of so that brown patch. Do you see it? Okay, good. From there, eight mils to the right, I see this. Do you see that? Yes. I'll never use or I would never encourage using things like a bush. I can use a tree, but it needs to be tree leaning to the left next to a tree with a big burnt patch on it or things like that. And I think if you just work bold and we'll get down to specific and practice, it, it's it's going to be so hard for you and me just got thrown together for the match the day of to communicate versus someone I've been shooting with for years.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I mean, to me, that, that, that's a fascinating subject of just, just being able something that you know every human does on a daily basis is communicate to one extent mm-hmm. or another, but, but yet, you know, none of us are really all that good at it. And you see, really see everything fall apart when people are trying. That's to one of the things I them. mentioned
1: when law enforcement aren't training right targets. That's one, that's one problem. I think law enforcement has, especially how do you find the person? You know, I, I've, I've done drills before just to try and help people communicate is you give one partner, one part of the puzzle piece or the equation and they don't get to see and they have to describe it to the other one. What oh. I used to do was taking lines. I used to take, I probably still have it somewhere from, the early 2000s, took a piece of uh, just printer paper and drew lines with a ruler all over it. So they ended up being triangles and squares and diagramming all over to the point where each opening was no bigger than about an inch circle all over the place. Mm -hmm. Crazy lines. I would Xerox you know, copy that and print off copies. And then I would take a series of them and take a Sharpie and color in one of those random shapes Mm -hmm. on the key for the partner, for the spotter. And the blank one with just the lines would be up on the target. I'd say, okay, spotter, have them hit it. And they would have to stare and not be able to show the shooter and describe which triangle on this crazy piece of paper they had to hit. And not only did they have to agree on which triangle they had to hit, but the shooter actually had to perform and hit it. That was a great drill for law enforcement to get better at communications. Be prepared to identify and diagnose what's going on. That's a skill that I, I, when I see that happen in a student, especially a new student, I'll do maybe a five, seven or 10 day course. And they're new. And I love seeing that transition that happens when they figure out something's wrong. So everything adds up in shooting. Okay. If I shoot and it impacts low and I measure how low it was and I make that adjustment up and I shoot again and it's the exact same distance low. Having the mindset as a shooter to stop and say, oh, something's not right. Or I adjust one direction and something else happens. Oh, something's everything should make sense. If you were a mill low and you adjust up a mill, you should be hitting a mill higher than your last shot. If you Mm -hmm. got the wind call wrong and you held more to the wind and the wind hasn't changed, it should be better. And seeing when someone can put two and two together and say something doesn't add up when they stop and diagnose. I think that's really cool too.
0: Mm -hmm. Rather than just keep shooting and panic, like something's
1: wrong. The opposite is true, right? So (laughs) new shooters want to jump into something's wrong and see if the scope's loose. Nope, it's not. This makes sense. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I spend a lot of time on, you know, up until about three or four days of shooting talking to the spotters as I have people teamed up and they're shooting spotter. What did you see? Does that make sense? What did you tell them to do? Does that make sense? No, no, that doesn't make sense. Then have them do it again and -hmm. they have them shoot again. And sure enough, it finally makes sense because it was a bad shot or something like that. Getting people to understand the intuition of what should be happening is more important to me than the ballistic app, what should be happening. And I get a rap about being against a bad rap about being against ballistic software. And it's not true at all. I think that that, Bullet and scope technology are the greatest advancements that have allowed us to do amazing things in long-range shooting. My problem with ballistic software is the guy that is out there in brand new gear with the tag still on it that doesn't know how to use it, that has got his nose buried in his phone, playing with the ballistic software and has no idea what's really going on, is spending 10 minutes changing settings, trying to hit a target at 700 yards, finally gets the firing solution finally shoots with either no understanding of reality or having such bad fundamentals that he completely misses the target and then dives back into the app and plays with the more and finds out, Oh yeah, I had this setting wrong to get it. That drives me nuts versus somebody who has a mild degree of confidence that they can hit the 700 yard target shoots, sees that they impact at a half mil low, adjusts a half mil up shoots and hits and they're done in 30 seconds. I think that's more powerful So I'm not against ballistic software. I'm against relying on it so much as a crutch that you have no idea what's right. And that came from a fifth grade math teacher. She was big on estimation. Before we did the math problem, she made us estimate the answer. And I don't have a whole lot of memories from fifth grade, but one of them I remember was pushing back to her. Why am I wasting my time estimating when I can just do the math to figure it out? And I forget if it was the problem on the paper or the example she gave me, but she used the circumference of the earth. She said, Ryan, how many miles around do you think the earth is? So I have no idea. She goes, well, give me an estimate. You know, you're going to do a calculation. How many miles around the earth is do the math, but I want an estimate first. I said, that makes no sense. Why am I estimating when two seconds from now, I'm going to have the real answer. And she said, you have no way of knowing if the real answer is right or not. If you can trust it, unless it's close to your estimate. She goes, what if you did the math and your answer was two, two miles around, would you believe that number? I said, well, no, that's that's way off. She goes, all right, then. You just used your estimate to be able to know if you should trust the answer that you got. And that, I have I may overplay that analogy. I don't know, but it makes a whole lot of sense to me now when it comes to shooting, like the ballistic software. If I'm zeroed at 100 yards and I have to shoot a 300-yard target and it says come up 47 mils, I'm not going to be the guy that's going to try and dial 47 mils in the scope. I'm going to be the guy that says that doesn't make sense because you need to understand what's going on
0: like you just, it just blew my mind. Like that, that resonates so deeply because like you, you read and hear so much dogma. And then like you, like you said, like you, you were taught all sorts of stuff and you don't teach that anymore, but it's because you had real world context since then and, and decades mm-hmm. of shooting now and all this, all this stuff to be able to reflect from your life experience to say, man, I don't know if I believe that. Um, so you make an estimation. It may or may not be correct, but it, it shouldn't be so far off that, that the calculations are wildly crazy but if if they are maybe this maybe they uh, yeah i'm just i know i'm reiterating everything because Mm -hmm. it just that just makes that's beautiful like i I like the idea of like boiling things down frank does a thing that he calls weaponized math Mm -hmm. um um and rather than having all the students come to his class and dope their rifles and check their holistic calculators because apparently they developed this because it would take hours and hours and hours. People would come with their kestrels and um they would end up having to true the kestrel. Everything would be wrong mm-hmm. and then you know three or four or five hours later, you know, people are still trying to figure out if why their dope's not right in the kestrel. So they said, you know what, screw it. You know, no, shoot three hundred. <laughs> yeah. Um shoot three hundred. And then they're like, all right, now multiply what you got by this constant and shoot 400 and, and then you know if they're going to hit the target and then they're going to mm. say okay now make the adjustment that you need in elevation write down your dope and then shoot the next one and add this much and shoot the next one and they get so they get hard data from impacts from one to a thousand in like 10 minutes all of mm-hmm. them and now they have a hard data card that mm-hmm. works, and all the targets we have the yardage. We know what you're going to dial to to hit it, so you don't need your ballistic calculator anymore. And he calls it mm-hmm. weaponized weaponized math, um, because it it just works, right? That constant yeah. just works, and it's like, well, wait a minute, my my you know my, my Kestrel's telling me I need this. He's like, look, you just hit the center of that target with this number. Why are you questioning? You know, like it yes. doesn't matter anymore, right? That's so where I get the shape thing from.
1: I'm like, I don't care what the number is. You turned it to triangle and it hit. So tomorrow, when I ask you to hit that target, turn it to triangle. Stop right, worrying right, about right. why.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the The Feynman quote is: it, it, "He said that science is the belief in the ignorance of experts." And oh, that's great. I, I think that's great because he he knew he was an expert. I mean, he you know he got a Nobel Prize, and, and he like, you know he's a smart guy, but he always maintained the idea that everyone could be wrong. So keep thinking myself. for yourself yeah keep yeah. keep thinking for yeah. yourself and and uh if everybody has things they don't know so so just keep that in mind it, and uh, i'm going to yeah i'm never going to forget that the, to to estimate before you calculate shit i'm going to teach my kids that because it makes so much sense like you know a lot about the world mm-hmm. already and that develops confidence we've made it this far so we've all you know anybody alive anybody listening to this like you are you're successful because you've made it this far in life and that gives you that empowers you to say does this make sense to you because it should to a certain Mm -hmm. extent make sense right just like you said like all right I, I can't explain the bullet drop thing but I'm gonna throw this rock at that tree and you're gonna watch that rock go up and then come down and hit the tree and the bullets doing that to you so oh shoot all right, cool. Like that makes sense. Um, I don't want to ruin the
1: point because I'm glad you liked that, but a separate point, a follow-on point of -hmm. the estimation is you can measure how good you individually are getting the closer your estimations are to actual. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So the more that Delta shrinks, you know, you're getting better. And so Mm -hmm. um, I will teach this when it comes to Range estimation. Getting good at range estimation actually is pretty easy. If you just want to practice with your naked eye, you can get pretty darn good at it. And it's really fun to do when you got five or 10 minutes of downtime, especially for soldiers or things like that. you go, Hey, see that water tower? How far do you think that is? Oh, I don't know. Pick up the laser range finder. Oh, it's 627. Oh yeah, I was close. Nope. BS. Yes, <laughs> you weren't close. You need to tell me first and not because I want to measure your failure or not. It's, that's how you're going to get better. How far is that water tower? Oh, I think that's like 450. Nope, 620. Oh, wow, that was off. Interesting. All right. What about that? What about that cell and cell tower? What do you think that is? I think that's about you're going to get better and you know you're gonna get better when that delta gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And so part of it, the I don't like it's like I said, I want to ruin that point, but a separate point is you get a lot better at estimating if you're honest with yourself and you call it out front Mm -hmm. and try it and get better and better. It's pretty cool, yeah. I want to leave you with something because I know we we have been talking for a while and it feels like it was 10 minutes. I'm looking at the clock and it's been a couple hours and I love it. Um, I want to leave people with is you're obviously learning from this podcast. Following Chris, you need to to keep doing this. You need to find people that are willing to admit that they're wrong. Um, I say that as I think a rational person because I like to admit when I'm wrong. You know, when we last talked, I was completely wrong About a question you had asked me about whether a rifle moved when the bullet was still in the barrel. And after the podcast, I went and looked it up, realized I was wrong. And was so happy that I was wrong that I learned something. That it wasn't until I read a couple comments that that's not normal for some people. And I embrace the idea that I don't know stuff and want to learn better. And one of my favorite YouTube videos I've ever filmed for the NSSF on zeroing a rifle has a mistake in the middle of it and i i like that i said oops i messed up see this mistake let's figure out how to correct from the mistake i just made and i'm just saying keep listening to guys like this keep following people that, that are, are willing to be wrong and always keep learning